Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I uh, learned this morning that this top of the table pops off, so you can't lift it that way. Uh, for those who are watching online, excited that you're with us here today. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Joel, and I am one of the pastors here at Eaglemont Church. Uh, this morning, we're going to be starting a new series at the church. Now, a buzzword that is really commonly used in our world today is the term fake news. Now, if you went back 10 years ago and you used the term fake news, probably people would look at you weird, but we use it all the time now. Of course, it it means false or misleading information being presented as truth or fact. There is a lot of misleading information when it comes to the person of God and what does the Bible actually have to say about our lives. Over the course of the next seven weeks, We're going to look at some of these misconceptions and ask the question, does the Bible really say that? Now, in general, I see two main reasons why misleading information begins to spread amongst even Christians in in the church. First is this. We simply heard something incorrectly. We heard something incorrectly. Now, If you've been at Eaglemont for any length of time, you probably have already heard Pastor Marlowe reference sometime in the 80s. Now, if Pastor Marlowe was living in his paradise moment, you can picture there's a GTO, there's hair flowing in the wind, there's Miriam probably in the passenger seat, and there's classic 70s rock coming out of the speakers, right? Have any of you ever heard something like that from Pastor Marlowe? Okay. Pastor Joel in the 80s would be sitting on the bumped middle seat, back seat of a Ford Taurus. Am I trying to indicate that Pastor Marlowe is old? I am not using those words. If you make that connection, that's on you. I'd be sitting in the back middle seat of a Ford Taurus listening to the 80s Christian children entertainer Salty. Has anybody here ever heard of Salty before? Okay, you know that you are a church kid if you grew up with Salty, specifically in the 80s. Now, some of you are like, what on earth is he talking about? And who is that weird looking thing in the picture? Salty was a Christian children's entertainer. Uh, In his cassette tapes that you could plug into the car speakers, uh, usually within they would have songs about character, trusting God in the Bible, they would kind of, it was kind of like Barney, but for Christian kids before Barney existed. And at the end, usually there's some type of calamity and they'd be able to solve it. I listened to a lot of Salty as a kid. But I also listened to a lot of worship songs that would happen at church. I had the privilege of growing up in a, in a Christian home. I was taken to church every Sunday. And so I would sit there and I'd be able to watch adults worship. And Parents, you, if you don't know this yet, know the value of your kids being able to watch you worship. And so I'd I'd listen to the songs that they'd sing in church. Now, if you were in church in the 80s, some of you I know, you're like, why does he keep talking about the 80s? Just bear with me here for a second. But you're in church in the 80s, there was a lot of songs that we would sing. And one of the songs that my church would often sing when I was a kid was this song uh, that talked about exalting God. Now, if you exalt God, of course, it means we lift God up into his rightful place as Lord, as leader, as higher than myself, as someone I'm going to follow, someone that is greater than myself. And there was a song that they used to sing. I exalt thee, 
I exalt thee, I exalt thee, O Lord. Has anybody ever heard that song? We used to sing it all the time. Now, I sadly have to admit that I was probably at least eight or nine before I realized I had the lyrics wrong. And I swore people were singing, I ate salty. Pretty much my entire childhood. I ate salty. It sounds literally the same. And I, you might, what does that, it's a blue book as a guy. Why would you eat salty? I don't know. I didn't break things down that much. I did learn in kids' church that we were to feast on the word of God. Maybe there is some type of tie in there. It, whatever the case, sometimes we mishear things, okay? So that can be one of the reasons why you get these fake news, these things that get passed around in church. The second reason is we inaccurately pass on information that we've received. Again, if you were a kid growing up, you probably played the game telephone, right? You have a circle and every person has to whisper into the ear of the next person. You start with one message, I like porridge for breakfast. And by the time you get to the end, it's I flew a 747 to Switzerland. The message completely changes as it goes along and gets whispered along. That Sometimes the message changes and we accurately pass on the information. And over time, what happens is this misheard or inaccurately passed on information can cycle around in circles of people. And eventually, it becomes a cliche belief that is accepted as truth without actually being evaluated or investigated. So this morning, we want to ask the question, does the Bible really say that God will never give you more than you can handle? No. Well, that was great. Have a great morning, everybody. We'll see you later. We'll dig a little deeper than that. But no, the Bible never says that. This statement is actually a misquote of a passage in 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul speaks about temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear, but with temptation will make a way of escape for you. Now this verse talks about temptation, but says nothing of you experiencing difficulties, trials, or challenges. In my experience, this statement is often used, uh, the statement of God will never give you more than you can handle. We often use it when we feel uncomfortable and truthfully don't know what to say to someone else or even ourselves. Think about it. You have a friend whose wife is diagnosed with cancer and the report from the doctors are not good. Just being around them, you don't know what to say because you feel the heaviness of that diagnosis, the pain, the anger, Confusion. God will never give you more than you can handle. Perhaps it's said in an attempt to try to comfort, but it's a statement that could not be more uncomfortable and more hurtful. In my years of counseling, this statement is one that I find to be the most detrimental that is spoken over people. It is simply a spiritually dressed up version of the response, suck it up, 
you'll get over it, or it could be worse. The truth is that for many of you, the situations that you are facing today are too big for you to handle. And deep down, you already know it. Maybe you can make yourself present well on a Sunday morning, but you know that in your heart of hearts and in those secret moments of your life, you are an absolute mess. This statement that God won't give you anything you can't handle makes you feel so incredibly insignificant, judged, so hopeless, so empty. Because if that is true, if that statement is true, if the Bible says it, then why am I failing? What's wrong with me that I can't do it? Because the Bible apparently says I can. Let me be very clear. The Bible says that you on your own are not able to do many of the things that you will face in your life. This cliche statement leads us oftentimes to buy in and believe two lies. There's many lies really, but two lies that I want to point out quickly this morning. The first lie is this, that I can do this on my own, that I can rely on myself. The statement makes the mistake of saying that I have in myself what it takes to make it through. The truth is, is that the Bible teaches that self-reliance is exactly the opposite of what God calls us to and what we're made for. Jesus, throughout Scripture, even before we see him presented in the New Testament, as he's foretold and looked forward to, Jesus is Savior and Redeemer. Because we don't have what it takes to fix our own problems. That's the reason why we need a savior. If you or I were capable of fixing our own problems, we would have no need of someone to come and save us. But the truth and the reality of our own lives is that we regularly need rescuing. You were never intended to do this on your own. The second lie is this. comes out of the first And that is my inability to do this on my own then must be a sign of God's judgment or his abandonment in my life. This is the undertone of the statement, God will never give you more than you can handle. There is an overbearing weight of shame and condemnation that comes with this. Because again, I can't. I can't do it. I have been trying, I've been working, and I can't do it. And I should be able to. There's such an immense amount of judgment and condemnation that comes with that. Now, some of you may be asking, well, but what if that's God? What if it's God? He's telling me that he's just convicting me that I should be doing this. I want to be really clear because I I find I talk with a lot of people when I do counseling who don't know the difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Condemnation is the voice of the enemy who wants to keep you trapped and hopeless. Conviction points out that what I am doing and my actions and my decisions are wrong. And I can feel the weight of guilt because of the wrong that I have allowed in my life. That's the conviction 
of the Holy Spirit. Condemnation switches from what my actions are and speaks to my personhood. I'm unworthy, I am wrong, I can never be accepted by God. I can never do. Conviction from the Holy Spirit always leads to change and restoration. The conviction of God when he speaks to us and he points out things in our lives that are wrong and out of line with what he desires for us, God's conviction leads us towards repentance, which is change. When God convicts you of something, he's calling you to. He's calling you to himself and to what he's calling you. Condemnation, on the other hand, is indrawn and a constant repeated cycle. Condemnation will lead you to, to break away from God's church, to break away from him, to withdraw from life. Conviction will lead you to action. Core to this lie is the belief that if you are overwhelmed with pain and suffering, it must be God's judgment and his desire for you to suffer. What many fail to realize is the reality that the suffering of this world is not a direct correlation with God's love, nor his approval of you. In the Bible, we see that in our present world, even those whom God loves immensely, they experience pain and suffering. It's the result of living in a world broken by sin, a world that is not the way it is supposed to be. Now, God is not necessarily the cause of your pain and suffering, but he definitely does allow those two hard-to-handle moments in your life. In fact, they can even be a gift. Because Jesus wants to transform our pain to show his glory and his hope to the world. I don't say that trivial today. Core to the life of a follower of Jesus is the transforming power of the gospel. That the gospel transforms our lives. It transforms pain and loss to hope. One of the more powerful examples of this is when we look at the cross. The cross was a place of execution. It was a place of punishment, of shame. You didn't just get a crucifixion because you were a good guy. Crucifixion was for those who were the worst of the worst criminals. The cross was associated with nothing but shame and pain and humiliation and suffering. But now, for those of us who know Jesus, the cross has been transformed to mean something so much different. It is now a symbol of hope, of life, and of freedom. What does the Bible actually have to say about this issue? John 16.33 says this, I have told you these things, this is Jesus speaking, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will, not maybe, you will have trouble. Life will be hard. You will have crushing disappointment. You will experience struggle and pain. But Jesus' words, but take heart, 
be encouraged. Not because you have it in you to make it through. Not because I gave you all you needed and you just need to work harder. But because I have overcome the world. There will be more than you can handle. There already is. But never more than God can handle. Philippians 4.13. If you've been in church a long time, you probably have heard this verse. If you're new to church, I'm so glad that you're here. The Bible says this. Jesus said, or, or, sorry, this is the Apostle Paul who says, For I can do everything, all things, not through myself, but through Christ who gives me strength. Now, just quickly, sometimes this verse get, really gets misquoted to mean something it's not. This doesn't mean you can go off of a 60-floor building off the, 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 the rooftop and jump onto the pavement because you can do all things. This is not a magical saying that now you have, are some type of superhuman. It's saying that as we are connected with Christ, as we are obedient to him, Christ in us can do all things. What is impossible on my own with Christ is possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not through my fortitude, not through my good attitude, not through my stick to but through or by Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 8, we see the Apostle Paul, and he recalls a time when God gave him more than he could bear. In a letter to the Corinthians, he wrote, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. It's Paul who was apostle. He's taking the gospel around, and he was going to these new communities that never heard about Jesus and sharing the good news of the life of Jesus. And he says this, We were under great pressure. It could also mean we are under great, incredibly heavy distress. Far beyond our ability to endure. Have you ever experienced a point in life? I'm not talking about it was, it was uncomfortable, it was hard. Have you ever reached a point and had a moment in life where it was just far too much to endure? You literally just went, I don't know if I am going to make it through this. I don't know if I can do this. This moment of great distress was so far beyond their ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. This isn't minor. And Paul is not a wimp. If you know the life of Paul, he went through some incredibly difficult things. But this is so heavy. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I just, I'm trying, but I don't know if I can do this anymore. Have any of you ever reached that? I don't think I can do this anymore. Clearly the Bible says that we're going to experience difficulty, that we're going to experience trouble. But why would God allow for things too big to handle into our lives? Four things I want to look through this morning quickly. The first is this, and I hope that none of these come across as trivial because they're not. To teach us to rely on Christ. 
The next verse, right after Paul talks about this great distress, this great difficulty he went through, he said, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. First reason is because God wants to teach us to rely on Christ and not on ourselves. Again, I have gone to church all of my life. I'm pretty sure the first Sunday after I was born, I was in a pew somewhere in northern Ontario. I have heard and I know that God is the one who strengthens me. Yet the issue I so easily default to all the time is to rely on myself rather than rely on God. I naturally try to fix and deal with the stuff in my life on my own. Over and over and over again. Last summer, I had the privilege as a dad to teach my son how to ride a two-wheel bike. If any of you have had that fun experience of teaching your kid, it can be a bit nerve-wracking at some points. I think there's a picture there. It's, sorry, I have a really cheap camera. We'll take up a collection for Pastor Joel to get a new phone afterwards. Uh, but if you look on the screen, you'll see that was the first day my, my son sat on his two-wheel bike. And you can see there's training wheels on there. Now, after last year, so he had it for about a year, which means in Edmonton, he had a good six weeks of being able to go outside and use it. Um, so last summer, one of the first goals when the spring came and the snow melted was to learn how to ride a two-wheel without training wheels. Here's the thing with training wheels is they're great. They feel really safe, both for him and for me. When he's whipping around on that thing, I wasn't worried about him falling over because those things brace. They took the weight. There was no problem. But the reality is I wasn't going to let him grow up all of his life relying on training wheels. Because while they're helpful in a moment, they're also restrictive. He was never going to be able to go as fast as he wanted to. He was never going to have the freedom to really go for it with those on. And at some point, we had to take them off. And with that, there was a vulnerability for him and for dad. Because I don't want to see my kid get hurt. But part of it was that moment where he has to have that ability. He's going to fall over. He's going to have to learn it and find his rhythm and learn how to find his balance. It can be hard taking off the training wheels because you know your kid's going to fall down. But with that, if they're ever going to experience life the way we want them to, they're going to have to come off. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. We got to take the training wheels off. Because the reality is our default is to always lean on our own understanding. We need to stop seeing the hard times as indicative of God not loving us. Instead, we need to take him at his word. Literally, and see the hard times as God loves us without limit. So much so that God refuses to let us rely on our own strength in order to show us that we've got to rely on him to endure and to make it where we want to be. God will gift us with challenges and trials, things that are too big for us, and it's not to torture us, but to draw us, to teach us not to lean on our own understanding but actually rely and trust in him. The second thing that happens, and the reason why God allows for those two big things in our lives, is because it teaches us to rely on Christ's body, the church, the community that we are to belong and be a part of. You were made for fellowship, to be connected with other members of Christ's church. 
In Romans 12, 4 to 6, Paul talks about how each one in the church is gifted with different giftings and we're all supposed to come and to contribute. You're not supposed to come to church. You're not supposed to just to engage to get something for yourself, but each one of us is supposed to be here to serve and to give what we have to give as well. That's how the church works. In our culture, we are so individualistically focused that we are challenged with this. We're very self-focused. And the idea that we belong to something else is, and we belong to something greater and we're supposed to contribute to that is challenging for many of us. Yet Galatians 6.2 says this, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. This isn't an add-on to your life. This is actually core to the purpose of your life is to belong and be a part of Christ's church, to be an active participant in the community of God. Again, we live in a very self-focused culture and God uses the two big situations in our lives to push us out of our me focus and drive us towards the community we are meant to live and thrive in. Thirdly, we are to develop our character through those big, two big moments. Many of us are addicted to comfort. Now, make no mistake, God is a God of comfort. It says this in 2 Corinthians 1.3. He's not some lording overlord who's waiting to whack you on the head and just tell you all the wrong things you do in life. He's the God of all comfort. No one knows comfort and how to comfort you better than God. But with that, it's also clear in Scripture that God cares more about your character than he does about your comfort. Romans 5, 3 says this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Something that we all desperately need. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you are going to endure You need to have the character, and God cares about that character being developed in you. That's where your hope will come from. Finally, God allows these two big moments to speak through our testimony. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul listed a bunch of this stuff, and I mentioned this earlier. The Apostle Paul had a really challenging life. The man was stoned, left for dead multiple times. He was shipwrecked and left for dead. He was beaten, he was bitten by snakes, He was abused. He was taunted. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to suffer in life. In the 2 Corinthians, he lists a bunch of the horrible things that happened to him. him. And then he says this statement in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 30. I will boast not of how great of an apostle I am, how many people I've preached to, all the incredible miracles I've seen and done. I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Why would you boast of your weakness? You see, God will always give us more than we can handle in life because he wants to show in our lives our need for the dependency on him. God wants to, in your life, not just show how you're a great person so that others can see how great you are. He wants to show and what's needed by other people is to see how great he is. And those two big moments are going to force you to have to rely on him, not on your own strength, so that the world around can see him and see his glory. So quickly as we close this morning, 
How should we respond to the things that are too big for us to handle? Four very quick encouragements, if I can, church. Because there are many of us that are here today. And if you're not here this morning, you've been here before and you're going to be again. Number one, expect it. It's going to come. Don't be surprised. Expect that God will give you things that are too big for you to handle. He's promised it. Secondly, don't take it as judgment. Remember, you were never made to do this on your own. So don't listen to the lies of shame and condemnation. Shame will keep you withdrawn and inclusive. Reach out to the God in whom you have your hope and your strength. Reach out to his church who are to be the practical hands and feet of his expression. Again, so many times we withdraw and just go into ourselves and we don't share the heavy burdens that we are going through God says, why are you trying to do that on your own? You were never meant to. Don't take it as judgment. Be freed of that. Some of you are so heavy in condemnation on this. You needed to hear this today. You need to hear that the challenges in your life are not indicative of God no longer loving you, caring about you, or wanting you. It's a lie. The third thing, we need to lean on in order to lean in. We need to lean on Christ in order to lean in to the challenges we face. I can do all things through Christ. That doesn't mean all things are going to work out the way you want. If you've been praying for your health or someone else's, it doesn't mean that they're suddenly going to get healed. That's not what that verse is saying. Maybe they will. God absolutely has the ability to do so, but they might not. But if you want to endure, if you want to make it through the things that are too big, and you want to be found where God wants you to be, you need to lean on Christ and then lean into the problem. Stop just trying to do it because you're tough enough. Because you don't give up. Winners never cry. Your hope is not in your ability to get through this. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light and momentary troubles church this morning, some of you, your problems do not in any way seem momentary. You have been years and years of praying. Years and years of struggle and challenge and pain. That in no way feels momentary. But when you compare that to eternity, that's why Paul calls them momentary troubles. That's why he calls them light It's trying to point us towards evaluating by eternity standards, not this life. Because in this life standard, they are long, arduous, and heavy. 
but our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Lean on in order to lean in. And finally, this morning, remember that you are part of the answer for others' two big problems. We are called to be one body. For those of you that are sitting in a chair in this building, and for those of you who are watching from home, that statement is the exact same for each one. That never had to do with a physical location. We are one body to be sharing and working together. I believe oftentimes when we speak this cliche, God will never give you more than you can handle, which by the way, I really hope we can all remove from our vocabulary. And that includes me, because I've said this before. Many times when we speak this, it's birthed out of our own inability to deal with discomfort. It's our own unwillingness to invest into the lives of another. I've done this. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Love that. Yeah, let's celebrate together. Let's celebrate those victories. Weep with those who weep. Don't discard them. Don't brush them off with a cliche. Weep with those who weep. Don't be afraid of people's pain and be brave in being willing to enter it. I know for many, you probably struggled the same way I have in the past. Many of us get scared off because we don't know what to say. What do you say for someone who's lost a loved one in a tragic accident? When you're talking to them and they're at the hospital and their daughter just got killed in a head-on collision. What do you say when your spouse's parent just got diagnosed with terminal cancer? What do you say when your friend's child has run away and will no longer talk to them and is estranged and they have such deep sadness and pain? Know that you will not have the words to cure it or fix it. Only God can do that. There is nothing that you can say that will fix it. If I can, a practical word of advice, church, because we need to be doing this better. I need to be doing this better. And if you're like me and you get afraid because you don't want to say the wrong thing, the deeper the pain that someone else is experiencing, the deeper the pain and the loss, the less words you need to use. There's something called the ministry of presence. Simply being present. Being willing to sit with someone else in their pain. To not correct them. To not say, God will never give them more than they can handle. They'll get through this. To not tell them how this shouldn't be a big deal because it's, God's got it. There can be truth behind a statement, but it can still be incredibly unloving. Be present. 
That's how we bear each other's burdens. And in that way, we fulfill the law of Christ. Reach out, yes, with practical helps where applicable. Make a meal, swing a hammer, move a couch, provide a ride. But provide presence. Mourn with them. Understand their pain. Be with them. Have hope with them. Not through telling them, but through actually faithfully praying with them, being with them, and asking Christ to use you to help hold them up. I shared this in the first service this morning. I actually wasn't planning on saying this, but it was a picture that God put in my mind. In the Old Testament, Moses As he led the Israelites out to war, God commanded him that the Israelites would win this war, but in order to do so, Moses was to lift his arms up. And as long as he kept his arms up, the Israelites were winning in battle. But you can imagine over hours and more than days, his arms would get heavy. Can you imagine trying to keep your arms up for that long? And they got heavy, and when his arms would come down, they'd begin losing the battle. But there was another man, Joshua, who came And he lifted his arms. Joshua could not fight the battle for Moses. Joshua could not lift arms in place of Moses. But Joshua came along and he lifted the arms of Moses as he was called to do. Church, can that be a picture for us? You will not be able to carry the weight of someone else's grief and pain and struggle. But can we be those who are willing to not run away from the battle, but will come alongside and lift their arms as God has asked them to do, to bear with them. Because God is bringing things in their life that are bigger than they can handle. And part of his answer of how they're to get through that is you. You are part of God's work in their lives. I'm going to ask if you'll stand for those who are present this morning. I want to close us in a time of just prayer today. You want to close your eyes. And if church is new to you, we don't ask to close your eyes so we can do something weird to you. We don't do it because this suddenly makes us, you know, mystically in another place. It's really practical. We close our eyes because oftentimes we get distracted. And closing our eyes sometimes just lets us focus a little more. We just want to focus on God right now. And just in this moment, I believe for some of you, God is wanting to speak to you. The Holy Spirit, right now, for those of us who are in person and place here and those of us who are online, if there is something you're wanting to speak to us, perhaps, God, there's some conviction in our own hearts. Maybe there are some like me this week, God, where you have convicted me. Maybe there's even people and situations that have come to mind where we know that we have, <laughs> we've not shown up. We ask for forgiveness. Some of you, there have been lies of condemnation and there has been a voice repeatedly telling you that you are not good enough. There is a voice continually that's saying, you are wretched and you are no longer able to be reached by God. You've pushed him off and you are beyond now. That is a lie. I want to pray right now in the name of Jesus that there would be a breaking over the false words of condemnation. That, God, you want to break that and bring freedom into lives right now. That the truth is, is that what they are facing in life is too big for them to handle. 
And their brokenness is not indicative of them not being worthy of you. Rather, it's the earmark you put in them because you say you so desire them. It's the hallmark to say, come to me. And I pray right now that that's what each one can do. God, we want to come to you and we want to hear your voice. We pray that you break and we break off the lies of the enemy. Lord, for someone who may be watching today and they have actually never even had you in their lives, they've never truthfully had you come and scoop out the gunk in life. That constant voice of condemnation has been consistent for their entire lives. Lord, you said when we invite you in that you will take that from us. And it's as simple as us confessing, admitting, God, I'm a sinner. You can say that right now in your heart and mind. That means I've made mistakes. I recognize that I am a mess and I can't do this on my own. I am in need of a savior, someone to save me from my sin, my mistakes. God, come clean the stuff out of me. Heal me and forgive me. Help me to live for you. Fill me with your love. Be my savior Be my Lord that I exalt and I follow and I listen to. For some of us, maybe it's not our whole lives. Maybe there's pieces of our lives. We've we've prayed that prayer before, but we haven't actually invited you into this area of our lives. Jesus, we invite you right now to speak. Heal us, cleanse us, and take those lies out of us so that this week we can live for you. Give us eyes to recognize that The two big situations are opportunities for us to learn how to rely on you and give us eyes to see others that you're going to use us as part of their life to show them how you answer and how you'll get them through those two big situations. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And if you agree, say amen. Amen.